Welcome to the NBA Deep Dives podcast. I'm your host, Nick Agar-Johnson. Today, we're going to be talking about one of the top competitors in the great 2018 tank race, the Orlando Magic. So I'm here today with Jordan Klingman. And Jordan, how are you? I'm pretty good. You know, the the Magic have some ex-Raptors players, and I think it's going to be interesting talking about them. So before we talk about the ex-Raptors on the Magic, I wanted to start out by talking about their early season run. The Magic jumped out to a 6-2 and two start, including winning four of their first five games. And since that 6-2 and two start, they have gone 12-41. and 41. So even though they're currently jostling for a position at the bottom of the standings, even that sort of undersells just how rough their season has been since that hot start. But I wanted to start out by talking about their hot start. Were you as shocked as I was when the Magic started out as well as they did? I was a little shocked, and I was shocked at the time it was when Alfred Payton was injured uh, that they were playing so well when DJ Augustine was starting for them. And now we look ahead, DJ Augustine is starting for them again. And also at this time early in the season, uh, Nikola Vucevic, he was playing extremely well, at least by the box score numbers. He was really lo- loading it up across the board. And I don't really feel many people were talking about that. He got injured and they kind of just fell off a cliff. The other thing that happened early on was that basically everybody on the Magic was nailing their three-point shots. They might have had the highest three-point percentage in the league at one point during their 6-2 and two start. But they were certainly up there for most of the first couple of weeks of the season. Aaron Gordon, in particular, looked like he'd really found his three-point shot after struggling with that at times during his first three years in the league. He's still shooting better than he has throughout most of his career on the season as a whole, and certainly taking a lot more attempts from deep than he ever has before. But a lot of their hot start was due to what seemed at the time like potentially unsustainable three-point shooting and in the long run has certainly proved to be unsustainable well for sure like you just look at their team on paper and you don't see a lot of three-point shooters so like when Aaron Gordon who in previous seasons wasn't a good three-point shooter and he was bringing that shot uh, especially early in the season there was a lot of hope for this team Uh, but when you know he cooled down for a stretch and some other guys weren't hitting shots either. I think you get in really in a really tough spot, especially in this age in the NBA, where everyone's put a premium on three-point shooting, and you have this team where you really have limited options. It's also interesting because if I knew before the season started that the Magic had started 6-2, and two, I would have assumed that they were just mauling teams on the defensive end, that Jonathan Isaac was being the switch-everything kind of modern defensive big man that everybody hoped he would be coming out of the draft, and that Aaron Gordon took a step on the defensive end, and who knows, maybe even Bismack Miyambo was living up to his contract, at least on the defensive end. And I guess what made it more unsustainable was that it was such a hard start on offense when this team just doesn't look like it has the kind of offensive personnel to be able to keep that up all season. And even though their offense has been better than their defense this year, that I think has been more of a surprise than their hot offense in the first few games. Yeah, for sure. And then I also look at this team 
And I individually, player by player, I don't think they're as bad as people think. But as a team, I just, I look at them, I watch them. Like I was watching them the other night and they look competitive for like 30 minutes. And then it they just ran out of gas. And I think, you know, not having the shooting. And then the big thing is not having depth. And I think it's, it's really hard uh, for a young-ish team, I guess, to compete at a high level when you, when you don't have depth, when you don't have shooting, it's like very limited path to winning games. They have certainly a limited path to winning games, but they have won a few of them. So let's talk about some of those wins and actually their two best wins so far this year. And I wanted to start with their victory over the Spurs on October 27th. This win brought them to four and one which was their second best record on the season because they were four games over 500 when they were six and two. Of course, things kind of went rapidly downhill from there, but they beat the Spurs 114 to 87 and the magic just dominated the first quarter 32 to 18 and the Spurs never really got back in it. The first half, the magic outscored the Spurs 61 to 34 and really it's hard to find a more impressive performance than that for most NBA teams but particularly a team that struggled lately like the Magic. Yeah, I think like early in the season uh without Kawhi Leonard I was expecting the Spurs to have trouble scoring. Uh since then, you know, they, it looks like they've had no problem, but you know, this is one of the games where you just really saw it that you know, Lamarcus Aldridge had 24 points, Pal Gasol had 12, and I believe Patty Mills had 12. But other than that, nobody else could really put up points. And it, I thought it was going to be a concern for the Spurs throughout the season. Obviously, hasn't been. Uh, but then looking at the Magic, uh, you were mentioning like how they were shooting the lights out early in the season. This is one of those games uh, where they shot, I believe, over 47 percent from three. Uh, Terrence Ross, he was 0 of three. And one of six from the field, uh, so he didn't really impact winning unless you're looking at the the plus minus of his ridiculous plus eighteen. But uh, I'm not really sure what he, he particularly did in this game. We'll certainly talk more about Terrence Ross later. But I wanted to go back to your point about Aldridge and Gasol. Aldridge and Gasol went a combined fourteen of twenty one from the field in this game, and <laughs> the rest of the Spurs went, and this is almost impossible to believe, but the rest of the Spurs went 16 for 68. Just miserable night outside of their two big men. And at the beginning of the season, it looked like maybe the Magic had a solid defensive group up front, potentially, with Jonathan Simmons in the rotation guarding wing players, but this kind of looks more like the Spurs just had a bad night, couldn't shoot, because... DJ Augustin isn't exactly a defensive dynamo, and yet DeJounte Murray went 2 of 9 as the starter. Patty Mills went 4 of 14 off the bench. Yeah, I think early in the season, there was a lot of up and down from DeJounte Murray on the Spurs. I think he's gotten a lot better as the season has progressed. Uh, being a young player, you know, getting more games under your belt. Yeah, I think he just looks more comfortable to me now. He's still not super consistent, but, you know, not having that that shooting really from the guard position, I think, outside of 
really nobody on the guard position shot rough with the Spurs this game. You know, Danny Green, he's not a big-time volume shooter, but he was only one of five in the field. Um, and then I mentioned, like, Patty Mills, he put up 12 points, but he was only four of 14. Like, this, this when you can't get, get shooting uh, in this day and age in the NBA, it's tough. And, you know, this is a part of the season where the Magic, as I mentioned, or you mentioned they were they were having shooting, so they were being they were they were successful because they found shooting at this this point in the season. Unfortunately, it hasn't continued for them. Let's move on to a game that probably shook the NBA a little bit more than a late October win over the Spurs on February sixth. The Magic defeated the Cleveland Cavaliers one hundred and sixteen to ninety eight. This, despite the fact that the Cavaliers put up. 43 points in the first quarter. Of course, they lost this game because Cleveland got destroyed in the second half of this game. Orlando outscored them 41 to 22 in the third quarter and 24 to 9. Cleveland put up 9 points in the fourth quarter of this game. And I think this loss, especially given the caliber of opponent, really helped influence the Cavs front office to make all of those deadline day moves. Now, obviously they didn't make those trades because of one terrible game, but this game I think represented all of the reasons why Cleveland made such a big shakeup at the trade deadline. Yeah, for sure. This was a really tough stretch for the Cavs where it just looked like nobody wanted to play hard. Nobody wanted to get back on defense. And as you mentioned, this game putting up nine points and, in the fourth quarter, when you're supposed to be, you know, at least one of the best teams in, in the East, uh, it's not very good. And I don't really so much buy into that Orlando was playing like lockdown defense or anything. I think it was just Cleveland just not not playing hard. And they ended up getting their butts kicked because I think Orlando, they saw they, they had a chance in this game and they they kept playing where the Cavs just kind of like backed down. I think it is incredibly telling that Jonathan Simmons had such an excellent game because Jonathan Simmons is certainly inconsistent and he certainly has his moments where he's not the best player to have on the floor, but his energy is always there and he is an absolutely elite athlete. And those are the kind of players that can have really, really great performances when the people who are guarding them aren't really trying all that hard. And the fact that Jonathan Simmons was able to just run roughshod over this Cavaliers team says a lot about their defensive effort in this game. Yeah, for sure. Like, Jonathan Simmons is one of those guys that had a fight to make the NBA. Uh, And then when he got to the Spurs, I feel like he got this competitive edge in him to to play tough and play his hardest every game. And this was a a game where he just went off, you know, 34 points, 12-17 shooting. Uh, two of four from three, eight of nine from the line. You know, he he was he was doing everything across the the board in this game. Uh, as you mentioned, he, he's not super consistent, but he, he plays hard. So games like this are going to pop up, especially when the other team just isn't playing defense or just doesn't really care. And moving on from the positive games from the Magic into some of their worst games this season. Now, with a team like the Magic, it's kind of feels like just kicking someone when they're down to pick out their worst games. But 
a couple of those have been pretty telling. And I wanted to start with their November 18th loss to the Utah Jazz. This was a home game. This was in Orlando. And Utah won 125-85. to And the reason that this game stood out to me in particular, this was the last time that the Orlando Magic were at or above 500 this year. And now they have 43 losses. I know that even if they win all the rest of their games, they're not going to top that again. And it was certainly telling for a season that has been pretty depressing for the Magic that the last time they were above 500 entering game, they got absolutely smacked at home. Yeah, like no, I believe no Rudy Gobert in this game either. Like, what? How do you take a beating like this when, uh, you know, the Utah Jazz were, were without their best player? It, I, I don't get it. Like, I, I guess this was just one of those games, I guess, on the flip side where Orlando really just didn't play hard themselves. I guess this is one of the rare games where Vucevic was off. He was 3 of 11 from the field. Uh, Terrence Ross, he was actually making buckets in this game. He he was 5 of 6, but we all know he's not a guy who impacts winning, so that didn't really matter. Uh, Alfred Payton didn't really do much in this game either. He was 3 of 7. Uh, he had three steals, but you know, obviously didn't do enough defensively if uh, the Jazz are putting up 125 points. So I'm actually a pretty big fan of Nikola Vucevic. I think he can do some really useful things for a team. I think he's very much in the wrong role as a starting center in Orlando. I think he would be great as a bench big. But when you're talking about Nikola Vucevic, this game, I think, is very representative of the problems with playing Vucevic heavy minutes he got destroyed on both ends of the court by Derek Favors. Derek Favors had more offensive rebounds in this game, three times as many offensive rebounds in this game as Vucevic had total rebounds. And the Jazz were able to get basically anything they wanted in the paint. And that's the problem with Vucevic is he's not the kind of defender that you need to be to be a starting center in this league. And I don't even want to know how much worse this game would have looked if Gobert had, in fact, been healthy. The other thing is that this game also showed something that you pointed out earlier about the Magic, which is they just don't have any depth, much like a lot of the teams near the bottom of the league. Really, their only solid bench player all year has been Jonathan Simmons, who's also started a decent chunk of games for them. And Raul Neto off the bench for the Jazz was plus 44 in 24 minutes. And most of their bench guys were in the 20s and above in terms of plus minus. Rodney Hood, 31 points off the bench, plus 30. And I think that's really telling as well that in their worst game of the season, the Magic got destroyed inside because Nikola Vucevic can't really defend in the paint. And they got destroyed by the opponent's bench because their depth is so questionable. Yeah, I think what surprises me the most is that Vucevic got shut down offensively like if it was like Rudy Gobert playing and shutting him down I'd understand that fully uh but Derek Favors you know he's I guess solid defensively but to shut shut down Vucevic uh that that's impressive I think based on you know how 
Vucevic was playing at this point in the season, how potent he was offensively. And as you as you mentioned, um, the the bench you go you go down the the numbers for the Magic. You know, Aaron Aaron Afal minus thirty three, Bismack Biyombo minus seventeen, Jonathan Simmons minus twenty nine, DJ Augustine minus twenty eight. Like, how does this happen? How does how does your bench get walloped that badly? Well, speaking of their bench getting walloped pretty badly, let's move on to the other game on the worst list for the Magic. And one that stood out to me was their December 23rd loss to the Wizards. 130 for the Wizards, 103 for the Magic. And the reason that this game stood out for me is because on the surface, everything that you would want to go right for the Magic to win seemed to be in place. Alfred Payton had an excellent game, 30 points, 10 assists on just 16 shots, four steals, three turnovers. John Wall had a pretty tough outing. He did have 13 assists, but he also turned the ball over six times, only 10 points, three of nine shooting. And yet the Magic lost by 27, despite Alfred Payton playing an excellent game, Mario Hazonia having a comeback performance in a sense, given that he's had a rough first few years in the league. This game should have at least been close when you look at all of the surface level things. And yet the Wizards, who have had one of the worst benches in the league for the last three years running, all their bench guys just beat up on the Magic, and the team wasted really an excellent game from Alfred Payton. Absolutely. You know, Alfred Payton, you know, at times he was putting up stats with the Magic, I don't really know how much that that translated uh, to the rest of the team because it it never really felt like just watching them never really felt like it 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 was really making this massive impact even though the numbers looked really great like it just feels like no these pieces didn't fit like Alfred Payton I think he's all right but it I don't know it just. And then Vucevic only played five minutes in this game. Was this the game he got injured in? I think it was, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, that's that's going to hurt um, because then Biombo's got to step up, and I don't think he's the, the type of guy that can play starters minutes himself. Uh, he played like just over 24 minutes in this game. Uh, he was only minus six, but eight, eight points, three rebounds. It doesn't do whole, a whole much for you uh yeah most baits he was he was one of seven not good like he can't i don't think he can be really relied on as well so i i just look at at this orlando magic team it's like the the pieces they don't fit they i think this game would have been a lot more competitive if if busevich was healthy uh and played uh his normal amount of minutes because uh, as I mentioned, he, he was playing well at this point in the season, and even if it if it doesn't look pretty, he still put he's still putting up numbers. All right, let's talk about the magic rotations really quickly. And I wanted to start out by talking about the big man rotations. We've already discussed Nikola Vucevic at some length, but I wanted to start out talking about the big men by talking about Jonathan Isaac who is a player that I was pretty high on in this past draft. I think he has all the skills you would want out of a defensive menace down low. He's 6'10 and rail thin, but he's got the quickness to keep up with guys on the perimeter. 
He's got incredible length. I think he has a 7-4 wingspan. And if given time to fill out, I think he will one day be a real force on the defensive end. He also has at least a theoretical jump shot. He was about average from deep in college, which for a 6'10", 6'11", guy is pretty solid. Unfortunately, Isaac has been out for most of this season with an injury. And also, unfortunately, I think it says a lot about the Magic that it didn't really get much coverage. And given how much coverage Markel Fultz's injury situation has gotten, it is at least a little bit surprising that Isaac has gone most of the season on the bench and have it been so under the radar. Yeah, he did look good when he was playing for the Magic. As you mentioned, his jump shot, I think, is the biggest question to his game. If he can ever develop that jump shot, I think he can be a really good player in the league. But until he develops that jump shot, I really don't know what kind of position he can play. That was my question for him uh, in the draft. Because looking at at him in college, uh, looking at all the tape, and then seeing where he would fit in the NBA... I was just like, until that jump shot is there, I don't, I don't know what position he can play. I think the other thing with Isaac is that he seems very much like the kind of player that would work really well in a complementary role, but isn't really that much of a star. I think if the Magic and Celtics swapped Jason Tatum and Jonathan Isaac, that Isaac could be really effective in a small minutes role for the Celtics, whereas maybe putting Tatum's scoring talent on the Magic and just saying, here, have the ball, take as many shots as you want, we'd see him maybe put up more of a rookie of the year type campaign rather than his admittedly incredibly successful role in Boston, but as a complimentary player, which he certainly wouldn't have been if he were on this Magic roster. Absolutely, because like I even look at like Jordan Bell on the Warriors, uh, who doesn't have a major role, but he he was he's playing like terrifically defensively for them and giving them a lot of energy. And I feel like you put Isaac even there, and I think you would have seen all similar results probably. I'm not sure, just because Isaac is so much skinnier than Jordan Bell. I think it's also pretty fair to say that there might not have ever in the history of the NBA existed a more perfect situation for Jordan Bell to come into and play. And his injury has been kind of unfortunate for the Warriors, not that the Warriors need any more help, but just that Jordan Bell's energy was really fun to watch on a team that can and has cruised through the first half of pretty much every regular season game. Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, it's hard. I think it's also hard for a young player to learn good habits uh, when a team is losing, and that that's something I worry about with Isaac because I like who who is he learning from? Is he learning from Nikola Vucevic? Is he learning from Bizback Biombo? Like, both of those players uh, have have massive flaws to the game, their game. Like, uh, as you mentioned, Vucevic defensively. Not good at all. And then uh, Biombo offensively, really, he, he, I remember even with the Raptors, he had trouble just catching a basketball and they had to use tennis balls to help, help him learn how to catch a basketball, which was hilarious at the time. Um, so 
I, th- I think it's I think it's tough. Like when you're on a losing team and you're a young player that has a lot of upside, that it's hard to mentally you know stay positive. Um, and I, I I hope everything works out for him. I hope they clear playing time for him so they can develop him as well. And on that front, I wanted to talk about which two players do you think are the best front court fit. The Magic thankfully seem to have abandoned the Aaron Gordon at small forward experiment. I think that even though Vucevic is a significantly better player than Bismack Biombo, that the Magic might be better served by running out a starting front court of Gordon and Biombo because Biombo is useless if he's not defending someone, and you're going to be defending better players if you're defending players in the starting lineup. So I think maybe even though it seems counterintuitive because Vucevic is so much more helpful than Biombo, if the Magic were to run out a starting lineup of Biombo and Gordon, sub Biombo out at the six-minute mark of the first and third quarter, and then have Vucevic play center most of the time, but come off the bench instead of starting. The other thing is Isaac is supposed to come back from his injury in today's game against the Pistons. We're recording actually while this game is going on. So it'll be interesting to see how they do incorporate Isaac going forward. But I think a Gordon Biombo front court would be interesting. And it might at least help with the fact that the Magic are in the bottom three on defense, despite having Frank Vogel as their coach. Yeah, I I could definitely see that. I think Biombo, he's very good in like, uh, I guess, a 20 minute per game role um, where, you know, he can dig in on defense and get rebounds. I think people forget like he's not this massive dude but he's got great reaching go up and get boards i think he's only like six nine or, or something but like the, the the rebounding is no no problem for him he, he's a good rim protector uh my only thing is does this team have enough shooting to put around him and cover that those flaws in his game of really not having any range Moving on from the big man rotation into looking at the wings and guards. And there's one guard in particular that we're going to go into more in a little bit. And another guard that we'll go into in quite a lot of depth because it's one of Jordan's favorite players. But let's start out by talking about some of the players that we're not going to talk about in the section immediately after this. And I wanted to start with one of the newest members of the Magic, Jonathan Simmons, who started the season in more of a bench role, but has actually started for much of the year due to injuries and a combination of other players not playing well and Simmons being basically the best wing player on this team, at least in my opinion. Simmons is inconsistent. We've already gone over that a bit, but... There have been a lot of times this season where it feels like Jonathan Simmons has been the only thing, or I should say player, keeping this team afloat. His energy is always there, no matter how bad the rest of the Magic team looks. And his shot has been a little bit below average, but I think that's actually better than expectation, given that he was around the 30% range during his Spurs career. What are your thoughts on Jonathan Simmons going to the Magic? I really loved the move at the time. I was actually expecting more than what he's delivering. I thought he was going to break out uh, and, you know, be one of the best players on the on the Magic. 
I, he might be one of the best players on the Magic, and if that's true, that's sad now uh, because you know he's just lo- he's looking like a role player. But he, I think he's very valuable, as you mentioned. He brings a lot of energy, um, and like you see, guys, the, the body language of guys just like quitting, or I've seen in, in the second second half of game, just hanging their heads. And uh, he's not a guy that will do that. He's he's going to compete. And stick with it. And then with Mario Hazonia, what's weird is didn't didn't the Magic like decline his option for next year or something? They did, and he's been playing much better. I don't think the dates match up exactly, but it's pretty close to matching up with them declining his option, and then about two three weeks later, him having his breakout in the middle of the year. Yeah, I I loved him um, in the draft class he was he was in. I remember thinking uh, that he'd be better than Porzingis. God, am I wrong? But uh, he's finally, I think, looking good from what I've seen lately. That this this is this is gonna hurt the Magic, uh, you know, when he, when he goes somewhere else and is productive because you know he he's he's looking like an NBA player now. One term that I've heard thrown about a lot recently is the idea of the second draft where lottery picks or first round picks who didn't work out in their first NBA situation move to another team either after the rookie contract expires or if they're traded early on in the rookie contract and suddenly look like different players in new uniforms. And Mario Hazonia, I think, is really someone to watch on that front because he could operate, I think, really well as a role-playing shooter-slasher type, and the Magic just don't have the kind of space needed for him to operate in that kind of role. The only real floor spacer they have at the moment is Evan Fournier, who's having a solid year on the offensive end, but has been disastrous defensively. And the reason that I debated whether Simmons was their best wing player or not is I'm not sure how to evaluate Fournier's issues on the defensive end. But I think that if Hazonia gets signed by a playoff contender next year, people might be surprised at how much better he does in a different environment. Yeah, absolutely. Like I could see someone like the Spurs just swoop in and everyone's like, wow, like, oh my goodness. Like why, why were the magic so stupid? Like something like that is going to happen because this, this guy like looks like an NBA player. Now it's like, what was, what was, the magic doing wrong all this time that he looked horrible i think for for a few years and you're right in the right situation i think the the orlando magic are going to be really embarrassed by this and speaking of things that the magic will be really embarrassed by at the trade deadline they shipped off alfred payton right before he hit restricted free agency and in return they got one second round pick. And this, I think, was the most shocking move of the trade deadline. There were talks about whether Tyreek Evans would get a first round pick in return or whether the Grizzlies could get two seconds for him. The Grizzlies insanely decided to hang on to Tyreek, despite having held him out for the week prior to the trade deadline. I might never get over that, but I might also never get over the Magic trading Alfred Payton for just a second round pick. Now, clearly they had decided he was not the point guard of the future. 
that they needed to find someone else, that they needed to get what they could for him because they weren't going to pay him anything in restricted free agency. But it is certainly telling when a player goes to the Phoenix Suns, which aren't exactly a team at the moment that's renowned for success, and suddenly looks like a much better player. And it just amazes me that the Magic couldn't get anything more than a second-round pick Granted, it's probably going to be a pretty solid second round pick, but he's still only 23 and he's looked a lot better this season than he had in his first couple years in the league. And even last year, he looked like someone who could be a pretty solid player. I just don't get this move at all. I know why they did it. I think it's it's it wasn't a good trade, but because um, Rob Hennigan is the one that uh, uh, traded for Alfred Payton in the first place to get that pick from Philly. Uh, And now it's former GM Jeff Weltman running the show this year. And I feel like he just had no ties to Alfred Payton. He wasn't invested in Alfred Payton. And nobody, I guess, wanted to give up a first-round pick for him. So he's just like, I'm going to take the best deal out there. And it was a second-round pick. and. If it goes bad, if it goes badly, it's like I don't think it's really going to be blood, uh, blood on Weltman's hands because he's like you he could just say this wasn't the guy I wanted. This I didn't draft him. Uh, it was Rob Hennigan. So I, I understand why they did it, but as you mentioned, it's such a low return. It it, it looks bad. I mean, I get the argument from the perspective of. Orlando wasn't going to re-sign him in restricted free agency no matter what, so they might as well at least get something for the final few months of the season. But if they were willing to give up on Peyton for just a second-round pick, why weren't they looking to trade him the minute that Rob Hennigan got fired? Because I certainly would think that if Orlando had been trying to move him in the offseason rather than desperately trying to find anything they could at the trade deadline that the packages would have looked certainly better than they did because this was just not the kind of return that I would ever expect a team to get out of someone who was the 10th overall pick in 2014 and had not been anywhere near the kind of bust that I would have expected for a team to give up on him for essentially nothing. But let's move on to the moment Jordan, that you have been waiting for all podcast, where we get to discuss your favorite player, and by favorite, I mean least favorite player, the one and only Terrence Ross. I feel awful for doing this because Terrence Ross is injured now. So, but I, I have to do it. I have to do it. Like he's he's a bricklayer. He's not good uh, with the Magic. Uh, you know they got him because they need a three point shooting, but. Uh, I think last year he shot like 34.1% from three. This season before getting injured, he shot, was it 32.9% from three? Like, if you're a three-point specialist and you're shooting under 35%, maybe you're not a three-point specialist? Uh, and then uh, with the Raptors, uh, he had severe mental breakdowns um, in 31 playoff games. He shot 36.4%. From the field. That's not from three. That's 36.4% from the field. That's awful. 29.2% from three. And I just remember uh, one playoff game where 
just a horrible mental lapse of a backcourt violation from Terrence Ross. There was no reason for it. It's not like some crazy thing happened. No, it's just he just mentally broke down and it led to a backcourt violation. I'd never seen that ever, like let alone in a regular season, but in a playoff game, it it, it was just like baffling to me. And I've disliked him ever since. And then uh, from a playmaking standpoint, or lack thereof, you know, with the, with the Raptors, whenever he got the ball, it really ended in a shot attempt because he really wasn't much of a playmaker. However, I will say when he got to the Magic, he was passing a little more. Um, so I, I guess that's good. Still, uh, still playmaking, not not really there. Terrence Ross, he's athletic. He's won a dunk competition, but he doesn't actually make use of it in a game. Like if you're attacking and getting getting to the rim. That's useful. That's useful. He could he could do damage. Like he's a, he's a three. I call him a three and a one dimensional player because he just likes jacking shots. He doesn't care uh, if it's a good shot or not. He's just gonna you know shoot the three. Maybe it goes in. Maybe it doesn't. It's just like this lack of effort from him. And from what I've seen, you know, with the Raptors, he was getting you know like twenty minutes per game. Um, and that's kind of where his production like kind of tailed off, and he he was getting more mi- minutes when with the Magic when he was healthy, and his production wasn't actually going up. It just kind of seemed like his shooting was just going down, and I I, I don't un- I don't understand. Um, he just seems content being a replacement level player. Like his his value over replacement uh, player is zero. Point one. That's not good. Uh, I I I remember him like even lashing out at Raptors fans uh, on social media after a poor performance. Now now he's injured. I I want him to come back. I want him to be healthy. I I enjoy him missing shots. I take great joy in that because he's a, he's a guy who doesn't put the effort in. Like he has all these tools. Um. I just remember with the Raptors, the last time he played defense for for the Raptors was his second year in the NBA. Now, when he got to the Magic, he started playing. He started playing defense. I'm like, where was this Terrence Ross? I'm like, you know what? I think I know why he's, he's he has to play defense on the Magic because he's missing shots. Like he was going to not get minutes. Jonathan Simmons was going to take all his minutes. Evan Fournier was going to take all his minutes because he was doing such a horrible job shooting the ball. He realized he had to play defense if he wanted minutes. And I think it was actually a defensive play where he got injured. He never would have gotten injured if he, if he was on the Toronto Raptors because he would have never made that defensive play. Like he, he, he it, it's, it's, it's between his ears with him that it, he, he's just content being, being a role player and not, a, not a very good one at that. Terrence Ross really, really reminds me and reminded me before your speech, but certainly does even more after it. He really reminds me of what the Ben McElmore experience was like in Sacramento. And now the main difference, and I want to make sure to point this out at the top, is it was never an effort problem for Ben, but it was a similar sort of between the ears thing. It was more of a confidence issue with Ben, but a three-point shooting specialist who was incredibly inconsistent with his shot and would often hunt bad shots in exchange for, I don't know, I really don't, 
his playmaking was always very questionable. He never had the kind of handle that an NBA guard needs, or honestly, didn't really even have the kind of handle that a power forward or center needs in the modern NBA. And just like Terrence Ross, Macklemore moved on to another situation after being the seventh overall pick in Macklemore's case, the eighth overall pick in Ross's case. In Memphis, he's not getting playing time, despite the fact that Memphis really doesn't have all that much going on for him. And it was always a similar thing with Macklemore. And the reason that he reminded me of Ross is incredible athlete, hyped as having this great three-point shot. And he couldn't really use his athleticism on a game-to-game basis. Now, I know I like Macklemore a lot more than you like or strongly dislike Terrence Ross because with Macklemore, it wasn't the same. He could do it if only he actually cared enough to do it. It was more just that if only he can get his head on straight and get his confidence up, he might be able to do it. But it's the same kind of really disappointing, incredible athlete in the middle of the lottery who just can't ever put it all together. Yeah, Macklemore's one of the guys I thought actually would be good. I remember thinking at the time, oh, this is the Kings actually made a good pick here. I guess he just ne- never really panned out. Um, going going back to, to, to Ross, I don't get it with him. Like, I just feel I feel like there's so many players that come into the league that are are around the same skill level. It's just how hard they work to get to that next level and really push themselves to separate themselves from from the pack. And I think just Terrence Ross hasn't done that. And I think I think it's a shame. But I'll I'll enjoy him keep missing shots. Uh, I I hope Macklemore turns it around in Memphis because he was one of the guys I I thought would be good. Let's move on and talk about the future for this Orlando Magic team. So the Orlando Magic are currently 18 and 43, which leaves them by a half game with the worst record in the NBA and therefore the top chances at the number one overall pick come draft time. What are your thoughts on Orlando's chances in the great tank race in the last year before the NBA reforms the bottom of the lottery odds? Well, I think there's a lot of teams around like their 18 win mark. So I think it's it's very possible that like if they try and lose games, uh, that they can get a really nice pick for themselves. But the thing is I worry about is, you know, Frank Frank Vogel, I don't know what what's happened to him, but I feel like he's the kind of guy that like isn't going to be content just losing games. I feel like he'll have something to prove and it could cost them a pick. I don't know, but they they should try they should try and lose as many games as they can. I think they're going to end the year with the best lottery odds because of something that we mentioned at the top. They started the year six and two, and they've managed to fight their way all the way down to the bottom. They've gone 12 and 41 since that start. And that's the kind of record that a team needs to really stay competitive in this tank race. Yeah. But the one thing you're not anticipating is a Terrence Ross comeback when he gets healthy, you know, this thing's just, this team's just going to turn around. They're going to chase a playoff spot. Terrence Ross is going to put up 50 in every single game after he gets back from his injury. 
Yeah, you know, he he's he's had fifty one points against the Clippers, you know, previously. That that clearly he can do that again, you know. There's there's nothing holding him back from dropping fifty one again. In all seriousness though, I think that the Magic are probably gonna get somewhere in the fifty five to sixty loss range. I don't think they're going to end up with sixty losses just because I think it's pretty unlikely that they only win four games the rest of the year just because, you know, they've got to play some of these other teams that are close to the bottom. But Orlando could really, really use a superstar player. And one common theme of their recent drafting has been that they've just missed out on some top quality players. They did get the best player that was projected near the top of the lottery in the 2013 draft when they got Victor Oladipo, but he never succeeded in Orlando to the kind of level that he is currently succeeding in Indiana. And then after that, the Magic got Aaron Gordon, who is a solid player for sure, but one that I don't think is likely to be a multiple-time all-star, superstar caliber of player. And then Mario Hazonia, we talked about already, hasn't exactly lived up to expectations. The Magic could really use one of the star players at the top of this draft. And when looking ahead for what this team might look like in the next three years, I think a large part of their identity is going to be built around whoever they get near the top of this draft. For sure, you know, they need as many good young players as they can get right now. you know, when you're a bad team, that that's the way to rebuild, you know, because I, I don't think there's many star free agents that are like, oh, I want to go to Orlando. I, I don't think um, they're a bad destination, but when they're a bad team, I think that really hurts their chances uh, of landing someone big. Like, I think I remember, were they the ones that were chasing Millsap at the time? Um, yeah, so like, I I don't. I don't know what free agent name they can get, so they they really have to uh, get hit on their draft pick uh, to really change the future of this team. And the other thing is that looking at the bottom of the standings, most of those teams know at least one of their future building blocks. That they know who one of the players that will be good on their next playoff team, assuming they make the playoffs anytime soon, they at least know who one of those players is going to be. If you're the Bulls, you're looking at Lowry Markkinen. If you're the Knicks, it's obviously Kristaps. If you're the Nets, it's D'Angelo Russell. If you're the Kings, it's De'Aaron Fox, Dallas, Dennis Smith, Phoenix, Devin Booker, Lakers, a whole host of recent top draft picks. But Orlando and Atlanta are the two teams that really don't have any foundational building block type of guys. Even Memphis doesn't have a young player, but they have two foundational pieces in Mike Conley, who's missed most of the year, and Marcus Gasol, who doesn't really appear to be playing his best basketball without any other quality players alongside him. The Magic don't really have an identity right now, and I really hope that they get the second slot in this upcoming lottery, because obviously the Kings have to get the number one slot, but I'm really hoping they get one of the top picks in this draft because they need someone to build around. And unless you think a lot more highly of Aaron Gordon than I do, I just don't know who that is for this team. I 
do, I guess, think highly of Aaron Gordon. I'm just worried that once he gets paid, that those expectations are going to go through the roof for him. Like, if he gets Andrew Wiggins' money, that that could go really badly. Like, I think he's a really good player that has the potential to become an all-star. I don't think he's probably ever going to become a superstar, but I think it's like when you sink so much cap into him and then you need like um you need your young players around him to be good like instantly to get something building here so maybe you can attract a free agent but then the problem with that is if you're sinking so much cap into Aaron Gordon is how, how much money will you have to pay a free agent i think they're in a really tough spot uh, but i i still like Aaron Gordon and i think he can be really good it's just I just wonder how they build a team around him that fits. I'm certainly not out on Aaron Gordon. I think he re- I think he could be a couple-time All-Star, one-time All-Star, two-time All-Star, something in that range. The difference is, as you said, I don't think he could be a superstar. And this team desperately needs a superstar. And ultimately, if they do get that kind of superstar, that can do nothing but help Aaron Gordon because he could certainly provide a lot of value as the second best guy on the team. I just worry about a team where he's by far and away your best player, like I think he is for the current iteration of the Magic. Yeah, I think they might think in Orlando that Jonathan Isaac has the potential to be a superstar because uh, I I was surprised when they drafted him because they were so loaded uh, with big men. And I, I, I was like, why are they taking another big man when they could have used a shooter, they could have used a point guard? So I think they're really high on him. They really see that upside. I don't know the odds are great of that ever panning out and Jonathan Isaac be ever becoming a, a superstar, but I, I guess there's there's a possibility of that happening. I don't know. I think he's similar, in my mind at least, to Aaron Gordon in that I think he could be an incredibly valuable second or third best player, but... I don't really think he has that kind of superstar upside either. And when you're talking about Isaac, even his best skills are more complementary skills, being a really good switching big man, being a potential stretch big man who can shoot not, you know, Dirk Nowitzki level of outside shooting from a power forward, but competent shooting from a power forward. I think the issues there are one Isaac's best position is probably power forward, and Aaron Gordon's best position is definitely power forward. And then to the center issue that they have, it'll be interesting to see what the Magic look to do in this draft if they're one of the top few picks, because a lot of the good players in this draft are big men, and that's not necessarily a position of need for this team. Yeah, if they double down on another big man... And they still can't trade uh, Vucevic or, or Biombo. I, I think that's going to be tough because, like, I was thinking at this this deadline, I thought Biombo was for sure going to get traded. I knew it was a hard contract to trade, but I thought, like, a trade that would have made sense was trading him to Cleveland for, like, Tristan Thompson or something, that they get uh, a young player who, who's struggling back. And that I think Biombo, he's a guy who could have really helped the Cavs uh, as I remember, uh, two years ago, I believe, Biombo was just beating beating up on, on the Cavs in the Eastern Conference Finals, just grabbing all these boards, getting dunks, making plays. And 
I I I, I would have thought that he they that would have been an easy switch to make. Uh, they obviously didn't see it the same way. I I, I think uh, there, there's very few moves that that the Magic can do to unload those big men, but. I, 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 they, they have to get a shooter or a guard or trade down if you have to. Do, like, don't, don't, don't go like five, five centers or something crazy or, you know, four power forwards. That's, that's just not going to work. And on that incredibly happy note, anything else you want to talk about before we wrap up? Um, I, I don't have a lot to say, but I, I think. I just think that the pieces the pieces don't fit on this magic team. I I think they can turn it around, but I think they have to smart be smart about it and get a shooter get get multiple shooters. Find a point guard they can trust. It's not going to be DJ Augustine long term, but uh, I I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful for this Orlando Magic team. Well, that's a much happier note to end on. So we will end there. He is Jordan Kligman. You can find him on Twitter at 416basketball. You can find his written work on the hashtag basketball website. And also be sure to check out the new-ish hashtag Raptors podcast. You can find my work on the hashtag basketball website as well. And you can find me on Twitter at N-B-A-J-O-H-N-S-O-N. If you've been enjoying the podcast, please take the time to leave a rating and or a review. And if you have any feedback, feel free to reach out to me either via Twitter or email nickaj.nba at gmail.com. And as always, thanks so much for listening.